Welcome to the show. Isaac Asimov and Bertrand Russell have quite a number of excellent quotes, two of which are pertinent to today's talk. We'll begin with Asimov. Quote, There is a cult of ignorance in the United States, and there always has been. The strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. Asimov is saying, people in the United States take a stand on issues concerning which they are ignorant and then assert their position, which comes from ignorance, is just as good, just as valid as a contradictory position stated by a person who has actual knowledge of the subject. I'd like you to take a moment and consider whether you agree with Asimov. Do you? Now to Bertrand Russell's quote, which reads as follows. The fact that an opinion has been widely held is no evidence whatever that it is not utterly absurd. Indeed, in view of the silliness of the majority of mankind, a widespread belief is more likely to be foolish than sensible. In other words, according to Russell, if the majority believes something to be true, it is quite likely false. Do you agree with Russell? Mark Twain did. He said, quote, Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect. Time to pause and reflect that something the majority believes may be false. We're going to discuss one such thing right now. The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's start with this. Here's a true or false statement for you. If you earn a living in the United States, the law requires you to pay income tax. If your immediate reaction was, of course the law requires you to pay income tax, I hate to say it, but you're exactly the person Asimov and Russell were talking about. Now, let's get real for a moment. Why was your immediate reaction that it applies to everyone who earns a living? Was it based on tax law, of which you've never read a single word? Obviously not. It was because your mental framework on this subject is that everyone else believes it, so it must be true. In other words, your reaction was based on going along with the crowd, exactly what Asimov and Russell were talking about. I often speak about the truth that the income tax has never been imposed on ordinary working Americans. The widespread perception that it has been is based on blind acceptance by the American people of massive government disinformation on the subject for the last 60 years. Hence, the reason you reacted from a belief held by the masses. I was first introduced to the truth in 1993. Since then, I have always maintained that the government's lie will end when the American people choose it to end. The facts and law are clear and indisputable. The only reason the lie continues in effect is because the government's 60-year disinformation campaign has been so successful that most Americans dismiss the truth out of hand without even looking at it. When hundreds of millions of Americans refuse to look at the facts to their own detriment. That's some incredibly successful brainwashing by the government. Of course, you're not brainwashed, right? 
it's everyone else. Polls show that trust in government is at an all-time low. Government keeps spending like a drunken sailor, and politicians keep using tax dollars, your money, to buy votes. Everyone says they loathe that system and want change. Yet, year after year, the American people ignore the truth of the income tax and continue buying the government's propaganda hook, line, and sinker, again to their own detriment, and in opposition to their claimed loathing of that system. Ask yourself a question. Since the law does not require ordinary working Americans like you to file a tax return or pay a penny in income tax, and you claim to loathe the waste and corruption that is part and parcel of the government's massive spending, why do you continue feeding the monster? There is no law requiring you to do it, so why do you choose to be a part of the problem? In today's presentation, I'm going to give you facts, data, and evidence that will help you make a better, more patriotic decision. Before we get rolling, a couple of quick items. First, what you're about to hear are segments from a couple of earlier presentations on subjects other than taxation that ended up discussing income tax because the original subject flowed naturally into discussing the obvious conflict of believing a privilege tax, which is what the Supreme Court has said the income tax is, operates upon your unalienable right to earn a living. Second, those who know the truth are going to cheer today's content, while those who have never seen the law will likely think that what they're hearing can't possibly be true. If you find yourself thinking that, consider this. If those who have read the law are thrilled with the facts you're about to hear, while those who've never read a word of tax law think it's kooky, where do you think the credibility lies? With the group that has read the law or the group that hasn't? Last thing before we get into it. The only comprehensive compendium in America that provides you with all the facts, history, law, and evidence you need to become a part of the informed community is income tax shattering the myths. If you want to skip the fun, informative, and fascinating facts that are about to play and jump into the main course, you can get 15% off Income Tax Shattering the Mist for a limited time at drreality.news, drreality.news. I'll put the link and the discount codes in the notes. Enjoy the intriguing facts, data, and evidence you're about to hear. I'll visit with you again briefly at the end to make what I believe is a meaningful observation about what you learned. As you may know, I'm the author of Income Tax Shattering the Myths and the national expert on the question of who owes income tax and who does not. Now, I'm going to surprise you. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who has never said Congress imposed the income tax on ordinary working Americans? The highest ranking tax authority in the United States is the Secretary of the Treasury, in the 110 years since Congress enacted the income tax, no Secretary of the Treasury has ever said the income tax has been imposed on ordinary working Americans. No commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service has ever made that claim. Under the commissioner are a number of assistant commissioners. None of them have ever asserted that the income tax has been imposed on ordinary working Americans. No chief counsel of the Internal Revenue Service has ever said that. 
No director of the IRS's criminal investigation has said it. No U.S. attorney in charge of the Department of Justice's tax division has said it. Why have none of those officials ever said the income taxes have been imposed on ordinary working Americans? Because as government officials, they can be put on trial and sentenced to prison for making a false statement of law that adversely affects your rights. As an example, imagine the Secretary of Energy stated publicly that while Americans have the right to free speech, that right does not extend to criticizing the Department of Energy. Shortly thereafter, someone criticizes the Energy Department, and criminal investigators from the Energy Department arrest that person for doing so. In the subsequent lawsuit, who do you think would be named? It wouldn't just be the arresting agents. The suit would include the Energy Secretary because she has authority over the Energy Department investigators, and her public statement would be seen as communicating to those investigators that their actions, which violated the unalienable right of the American citizen they arrested, were authorized by the secretary. Furthermore, the Energy Secretary's public statement could be used as the basis for criminal prosecution under 18 U.S.C. Section 242 entitled Deprivation of Rights Under Color of Authority. I encourage you to spend as many hours of research as it takes for you to be certain the government tax officials I listed a moment ago have never once said the income tax applies to ordinary working Americans. Not only have those officials never said any such thing, but I have invited every one of them to join me in an open public debate about the proper application of the income tax. Every single one has refused to debate. Here's the list of those I have invited to debate me. The U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, the Commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, Assistant Commissioners of the Internal Revenue Service, the Chief Counsel of the Internal Revenue Service, the National Director of the IRS's Criminal Investigation Division, a regional director of the IRS's Criminal Investigation Division, the U.S. Attorney in Charge of the Department of Justice's Tax Division. I've also challenged to debate me a number of private sector so-called tax experts who have condemned Americans who are telling their fellow citizens the truth about the income tax. I started putting out those invitations about 20 years ago. Not a single so-called tax professional has been willing to debate me. That said, I understand why so-called tax professionals condemn Americans who are telling the truth. It's self-preservation. Once the truth goes viral, they know those so-called tax experts are going to be financially devastated and have to go get a real job. In fact, I've estimated that when Americans know the truth and act upon it, nine out of 10 accountants will be out of work. Plus, the remaining 10% will make a lot less money because their value will be greatly diminished. Instead of making the lion's share of their money from income tax, they'll end up being a little more than glorified bookkeepers. I should also mention that just as the income tax has never been imposed on ordinary working Americans, it also has never been imposed on ordinary domestic businesses whose revenue comes from within the states of the union. In other words, if you own a mechanic shop, a real estate firm, clothing store, dog grooming business, computer repair, a consulting service, construction firm, and on and on. 
Congress has never imposed the income tax on your business, and you've never been required to file a Form 1120 or pay a penny of income tax. Every small and medium business person knows the drill. You decide to open your own business, so you reach out to other business people or an accountant, and they share completely ignorant shit with you about getting an employer identification number, filing quarter ta- quarterly tax returns, annual returns, withholding from your workers' paychecks, filing 941s, W-2s, blah, blah, blah. And you do it all because people told you that's the right way to run a business. But you never read the law, did you? You just did what they said. How do I know that? Not only have I seen it done thousands of times, but before I read the law myself and learned the truth, I did the exact same thing. And looking back, I feel like an ass for having done it that way. It was foolish of me. And it was foolish of you. It was all we knew at that time, right? But it's not all we know today. (laughs) Today, thanks to income tax shattering the mist, giving you a crystal clear, detailed look at the indisputable truth that Congress has never imposed the income tax on you or your business, we know that none of that was or is required. The kicker is how to correct all that so you and your business can keep 100% of the profits rather than giving the government a cut to which it is not legally entitled. Income tax shattering the mist gives you the tools to do just that. Today you learn that an excise tax is a tax upon the exercise of a government-granted privilege. Now, you just heard Jefferson, 33 years after the ratification of the U.S. Constitution, saying freedom of property is part of the liberty of the American people. But you don't have to take Jefferson's word for it. In Corn v. Fort, the court stated, quote, The individual's right to live and own property are natural rights for the enjoyment of which an excise tax cannot be imposed. To own property is a natural right. That begs the question, what is property? I think many Americans are a bit vague on what constitutes property. The short and sweet answer is it's anything you own, whether it be a home or a bowling ball. Everything that belongs to you is your property. But in America, we have all sorts of euphemisms that I believe dull our sense of what is property. In business, as an example, we use words such as profit, margin, income, cash flow, and revenue stream. Workers get a paycheck, which I don't think many of them see as their property. When have you heard someone who received a paycheck say, I just got $2,000 of my property? I'll wager never. Americans have been conditioned not to think about such things as property. Let me give you a couple of quick scenarios. Let's say a guy wants a ditch dug on his property. You tell him you'll do it for $500. When you complete the ditch, he hands you $500. In Coppage v. Kansas, the U.S. Supreme Court said, quote, the property that every man has is his personal labor. In other words, you started with property in the form of labor. You exchanged that property for another form of property. But whether it is your labor or the $500 you received in exchange, it is, at all times, your property. Hopefully, you recall from earlier in the presentation that a right is the opposite of a privilege. 
Let's say you're an entrepreneur. You see a widget being sold for $100. At that moment, the widget is whose property? It's the property of the seller, right? You give the seller $100 in exchange for the widget. Whose property is the widget then? Yours. And the seller has something worth $100 you gave him. Whatever you gave him that he values at $100 is now his property. There was an exchange of equal value. You then reach out to people you know who need widgets, and you tell them you have one they can get for $200. One of them takes you up on your offer, giving you $200. If you valued the widget at $200 by setting that as the price, and the buyer showed he also valued it at $200 by paying you $200 for it, then again, there was an exchange of equal value. Between you paying $100 for the widget and then selling it for $200, you increase the property you possess by $100. That is what is known as the fruits of your labor. Now, let's put this all together by hearing the words of the U.S. Supreme Court in Butcher's Union Company v. Crescent City Company. In Butcher, the court said, quote, The property that every man has is his personal labor as it is the original foundation of all other property, so it is the most sacred and inviolable. To hinder his employing it in whatever manner he thinks proper without injury to his neighbor is a plain violation of the most sacred property. Close quote. Why am I directing your attention to what is property and that acquiring, possessing, and disposing of property in whatever form is one of your fundamental unalienable rights. Just a moment ago in Corn v. Fort, you heard the court say, the individual's right to live and own property are natural rights for the enjoyment of which an excise cannot be imposed. Hmm, for which an excise cannot be imposed. That makes perfect sense, right? Because you know a right is the opposite of a privilege and an excise is a tax upon a privilege. So, with all this wonderful information under your belt, I have to add one critical piece of knowledge. Here is U.S. Supreme Court Chief Justice Edward Douglas White Jr. writing in the court's Bruce Schaber decision, quote, The Pollock case recognized the fact that taxation on income was, in its nature, an excise, close quote. That's Justice White in Bruce Schaber pointing out the precedent the court said in Pollock that income tax is an excise tax, a tax upon the exercise of a government-granted privilege. I should add that Bruce Schaber has never been reversed in whole or in part, so the holding of the court that income tax is an excise remains in force today. You know what an excise tax is, a tax upon the exercise of a government-granted privilege. You now know that your property, your labor property, and the fruits of property, such as your paycheck, are all constitutionally protected rights. And you know that the income tax is a tax upon the exercise of a privilege. So then, can you explain to me why you think you owe income tax? I'll wait. What you're seeing on the screen right now is a Form W-4. If you've ever worked for a company, you've undoubtedly filled out this form. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say very carefully. The form you're looking at is legally required only for non-resident aliens working for a government employer that is under the exclusive jurisdiction of Congress. 
I know that's not what you've been told, but hopefully 2020, 2021, and 2022 taught you how essential it is to question everything the establishment tells you. What you're seeing on the screen now is a Form W-9. If you work for yourself, you've undoubtedly filled out more than a few of these. Again, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The form you're looking at is legally required only from those who are receiving payment of U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. And again, I know that's not what you've been told. Do I need to repeat the part about how essential it is to question everything you've been told? Now the kicker. Signing a Form W-4 requires an employer to send the government a Form W-2 about you at the end of the year. The Form W-2 received by the government is presumptive evidence that you signed a W-4, which is only to be signed by a non-resident alien working for a government agency or instrumentality under the exclusive jurisdiction of Congress. Do you remember the Supreme Court said income tax is a tax upon the exercise of a government-granted privilege? Well, guess what? It is a privilege for a non-resident alien to obtain U.S. source income. When the government receives the presumptive evidence that you signed a W-4, the government takes you at your word that you're a non-resident alien with U.S. source income and then expects you to sign a Form 1040 and pay the privilege tax the income tax. Why do they expect that? Because by signing a W-4, you told them you're a non-resident alien with U.S. source income. Here's the kicker for those who work for themselves. When you sign a Form W-9, you are attesting, under penalty of perjury, that the payments you're receiving are not your income, but rather are U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. Once you sign that W-9, the party paying you is obligated to send the government a Form 1099 about you at the end of the year. That 1099 is presumptive evidence that you certified under penalty of perjury that the payments you received are U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person. And again, It is a privilege for a foreigner to derive U.S. source income. That privilege is taxable, and that tax is known as the U.S. income tax. If you attest under penalty of perjury to receiving U.S. source income belonging to a foreign person, you have to do one of two things. First, you can pass the income down the line, meaning you pay it out to a person who gives you a W-9, requiring you to send in a 1099, thus showing you no longer possess the foreign person's income. Or second, you have to pay the income tax owed by the foreign person on his or her U.S. source income. How do you pay the tax on the foreign person's U.S. source income? Simple. You file a 1040 or an 1120. Both of these are for reporting U.S. source income of a foreign person and paying the tax the foreign person owes. One form is for individuals, the other for corporations. You may have heard me talk about the fact that in the 110-year history of the income tax, nine different treasury decisions say Form 1040 is to be used by a non-resident alien with U.S. source income or the non-resident alien's U.S. agent, while there is not a single treasury decision saying an American living or working in a state of the union, earning his or her own domestic source income, is required to file any form whatsoever. None. Nada. Zilch. Now, perhaps that makes more sense to you. 
What you've learned today is 100% factual, but it has also been basically an outline of the constitutional issues at play. Income tax shattering the myth is a masterclass in the origins and proper legal application of the income tax. It verifies everything I've shared with you today. But it's even better than that because the material is presented in a way that every American can follow, understand, retain, and apply in their own lives if they so choose. Jefferson spoke about our rights and duties. I believe with every shred of my being that we have been losing our freedoms because far too many Americans focus solely on their rights with little or no concern about our commensurate responsibilities. As Paine said, we must, like men, undergo the fatigue of supporting freedom. In my opinion, Americans must learn the truth about the income tax and spread the word. We need to make the truth go viral. In terms of ending the scam, what might be difficult for 2 million people will be incredibly simple for tens of millions of people. How do we get there? We learn, we spread the truth, and we encourage our fellow Americans to do the same. I haven't filed an income tax return or paid a penny of income tax in 30 years. That should be an unexceptional statement because the tax has never been imposed on you. The difference between me and you is I studied the law and learned the truth. After 17 years of research and 17 years of living the truth out of my own life, I wrote a book making the matter crystal clear for my countrymen. Hundreds of thousands of Americans have already safely walked away from the government's income tax scam simply by learning what the law really says. You can too. I look forward to the day when every American says, I can't believe we all used to pay income tax. What were we thinking? I hope you enjoyed what you just heard. Earlier, I mentioned that the people who believe the government's false income tax narrative have never read the law. So what about attorneys and accountants? I've discussed lawyers and their ignorance of tax law in an earlier video. I'll put the link down in the notes. But for today, I'll simply tell you that in the 30 years I've been at this and the countless attorneys with whom I have spoken, not one has been able to tell me critical definitions and provisions within the tax code that determine who is liable for the tax and who is not. Not one. In 30 years. Accountants read the law, right? Why aren't they telling their clients the truth? So first... Most don't know because they never get into that area of tax law. They work exclusively from the block of law I call the rules of computation. The rules of computation are sections that explain how to figure the proper amount of tax for someone upon whom the tax has been imposed, but does not address who that is or is not. Are there accountants who know the truth? There are. I've spoken with several of them. Here is their dilemma. Imagine you own a store that sells widgets. A hundred people a day walk into your store looking to buy a widget. As you talk with each of them and hear the particulars of their situation, your conscience dictates that you have to tell 99 out of 100 that they don't need a widget. So instead of selling 100 widgets a day, you sell just one. Within several weeks, you'd be out of business, right? That's the situation faced by accountants who know the truth. Those I've spoken with say they cannot afford to tell people the truth. So when a person sees them about an income tax matter, the accountant takes the position that the responsibility to educate themselves falls on the individual and not on the accountant. I'm not thrilled with the ethics of that position, 
but I certainly understand why they've chosen that path. The bottom line is, whether you're talking about attorneys or accountants, an Upton Sinclair quote hits the nail on the head. Quote, it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his job depends on not understanding it. To pick up a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist and get 15% off the everyday price, go to drreality.news, drreality.news, and enter the discount code OWNIT. Link and code are in the notes. 15% off is a limited time offer. While you're on the website, take a look at the other publications. There is a business withholding guide designed to help you properly communicate the law to your employer and the W9-1099 handbook designed to help you do the very best job at communicating to a company with which you're doing business why you are not a person required to furnish them with a Form W9. Then there's body science. I'm not going to get into that today, but if you want to live in the manner for which your body is genetically coded, rather than the illness-creating way we live today, you will be thrilled with body science. The package containing all four is deeply discounted, so have a look around while you're there. Also, by purchasing Income Tax Shattering the Mist and or Body Science, you help me to continue to be here for you with these revealing and thought-provoking presentations. Please, share this presentation. Thanks for being here. Take care.